We're going to continue in our series about doing it wrong. How many of you ever done it wrong before? <laughs> I know I have. We've talked about a lot of good things up to now and uh, looking at the lives of the disciples, looking at mistakes they've made, uh, other issues maybe that they've dealt with. And, and so we're going to continue on this track through Easter. Um, some, some different things that I, I know that we're going to focus upon. So today what I want to talk about is fear. Fear. If you are living a Christian life, if you are pursuing Christ and following Christ, and you are living a life constantly in fear, you're doing it wrong. God's not called us to be fearful on a regular basis. God, by the power of Christ in us, the Spirit of God in us, has not called us to be fearful. Now, as with everything, we have Old Testament examples uh, cautioning us and, and, and showing us the truth that lead into a New Testament life that Jesus is teaching and leading the disciples to live out. In the Old Testament, we love to look at the children of Israel as they go through the wilderness. Uh, these, are, these are people who lived their lives in constant fear. Fear of, of dying in the wilderness. Fear of enemies. Fear of this and that. Fear of not having food. Fear of not having water. And they stood at the Jordan River, prepared to cross over the river, and to go into their inheritance, what God had spoken to them about, what He had promised them for, what He had sustained them for. He let them look across the river at a flood, not, I guess not a flood stage, but to look across the river and see what's on the other side, and for them to believe that what was promised to them was there for their taking. So God said, uh, or Moses said, let's take leaders and send them over, sends out 12 spies, one from each tribe, and we all know the, the account very well. They all come back, ten come, uh, two come back with a good report, and ten come back with a bad report. Joshua and Caleb come back and say, look, the fruit of the land is, is, it, the land is thick, it's full of fruit, it's beautiful, uh, and, and it's, it's ripe and ready for the taking. Let's go in and take it. But the ten said, we can't go in there because there's fortified cities. They have great walls and defenses. There's giants in the land. We are going to have to go in and face these people and these, these things with war. And so they said, I don't want to go. The people became fearful and, and fear was injected into the camp. And God told them, He said, fine, you're not going to go. And you're going to receive the very thing that you feared all this time. You say, what? God didn't say that. No, in a roundabout way He did, because let's think about it. Here's the thing about God. He knew the people. And we read in the book of Exodus that as they begin their journey out of Egypt, they start out and it says that they did not go around the north side of the Red Sea through the land of the Philistines because they might face war and be fearful and want to turn back. God already knew that they had a slave mentality. God already knew that they had been beat down, broke, and fearful. And regardless of how He had delivered them out of Egypt, they were still going to see war and become fearful and turn back. So what did God do? He took them down south to the Red Sea and brought them to the Red Sea to an impossible situation that they could not get across on their own with war coming behind them. So God, to teach them His power, takes the impossible thing and separates the, the, the Red Sea for them to cross and deliver them from war. Amen? Delivers them from the enemy 
And then they began to face other things in the wilderness. Food, uh, water shortage, all those kinds of things God provided. Did they face some war? Yes, they did. In smaller amounts, endured and overcame and God delivered them and brought them through the wilderness. Now, they stand at a river with war on the other side where God was going to miraculously part the river for them to go through and win a battle that He promised them already that He would send His terror ahead of them. That He promised them already that He would run people out, nations out with hornets and by other means and that He would do it miraculously. And they stood at that river knowing everything behind them and refused to cross. And so they inherited what they had feared all along. What did they fear all along? How dare you, Moses, bring us out here in this wilderness to die. And so they died in the wilderness. Everybody 20 years and older at that moment, with the exception of Caleb and Joshua, did not enter into the rest because they had doubt and they had fear. They inherited instead what they feared. I'm just going to let that sink in for just a second. When we live our lives in constant fear and dread, here's what we've done. We've been like the children of Israel, and we take up our baggage. We take up our slave baggage, and we go and say, Okay, Lord, we're taking a journey. I'm fearful. I'm a slave. I've been in bondage. I'm fearful. I'm afraid. I don't know, there's not enough food, there's not enough water, God doesn't provide, even though God did provide and God did great things for them, they're afraid. Listen, we are no different than the children of Israel. We all got baggage, don't we? When we're that little kid in elementary school, when we we get a new shirt or a new haircut and, and people see it and it doesn't look like everybody else's and suddenly the fingers are pointed and the laughter is made and, and suddenly you think to yourself, well, I'm gonna, just going to take this and I'm going to pack that in my bag and take that with me and remember that I need to blend in because I'm afraid of people. Or things and shortcomings and failures, we, we, we take those along with us and we, we pack that away and take it with us because, you know, we just aren't, aren't going to have enough and, and, and everything's bad and God's going to take me through too many awful things. I just don't know if I can handle this, folks. We develop our fears from past experiences, failures, shortcomings. We still, we're still living the slave life when we've been set free. Amen? We like to take the the shackles of fear with us even though they've been set free from us. Jesus did not want the disciples to live this way. They tried to, but He was in in a consistent plan of showing them that they don't have to be afraid. They don't have to be fearful. You don't have to worry. You don't have to fret. Listen, is God good? The failure of the children of Israel in the wilderness was is that from the Red Sea to the Jordan River, they never figured out that God was good. They never understood that the plan of God for them was for good and not evil. And so when fear comes in, faith decreases. Fear and unbelief go hand in hand. When God has told me to do something and I'm afraid to do it, and so I don't do it, and I'm led by fear rather than faith, I'm in disobedience. If you are a believer, a child of God, 
and your plan is to obey the Lord, and all you ever do is react with fear, you're doing it wrong. God's called us to greater things. If your first reaction, and your first reaction is always, I'm, fear, I'm fearful of that, no, I can't do that, uh, I'll fail, I can't do this. If that's our first reaction, and it takes us a week, two weeks, a month, a year to get past that, then our faith is being pushed down and suffocated and choked out by our fear. We have got to be people of confidence. When the Lord has spoken to us, we need to obey with confidence knowing that He is good. And what He has said, He will bring to pass. Instead of taking all of our past flesh experiences, packing them in our bags, and dragging them around with us the rest of our lives, uh, just bogged down by it, wishing that we could let go, but we can't. i got to go back and pick up my fear, because remember, this was said, or this was happened, or somebody said this about me, and then i got to drag that with me, because it must be true. Two or three said it. Folks, if we're doing that, and we're calling ourselves Christians and trying to live a life that is attractive and full of the power of Christ, and we're still dragging our fears around with us, we're doing it wrong. Now, I don't want to minimize fears because fears are real. And some fears are legitimate. You get in a car, and you go uh, in in just a regular car, 200 miles an hour down 74, uh, be afraid. Right? I'm not saying cast off all fear because some fear is healthy. Amen? Like fear of alligators, for example. Don't go swimming in alligator-infested water. I just came from Florida. I will tell you this, that alligator tastes just like chicken. So good. Only a little more tender. I recommend alligator tail. Anyway. So we're going to look at a few things here that the disciples had to face with fear. Obviously, Uh, We're going to talk about two times that they were in the boat um, quickly this morning, but fear of failure. If you are trying to obey God in in, in ministry, in a circumstance or a situation, and you are constantly dealing with fear of failure, you're doing it wrong. Now, I have to confess, I, I deal with this one. I've told you before, if you want to want me to rip open my chest and show you my ugly demons inside of me, here's, here's the one that I struggle with. I'm in a constant concern that, that I'm going to fail at everything I ever do. Why is it there? I don't know. But there are times that if I allowed it, it would cripple me. I would never try to do anything new at the church. I'd never try to step out and do certain things in the community or whatever else because here's my fear. I'm always feeling like I'm going to fail. Some of you right now, how many of you are shocked to hear that? few of you, but I've told most of you this before already. This is just something I carry. It's something I deal with, and, and I allow it to drive me instead of to stop me. So we, this is something I deal with. So the disciples had a fear of failure. Two accounts. One of them is, is they get into the boat, they follow Christ into the boat. And the second one is, is they obey Christ and get into the boat. There are times where we will follow God and follow Him in, in, in fear. There are times where we obey God and follow Him in fear. And and folks, if we're doing that, we're doing it wrong. Now we know that the disciples get in the boat and they go over. They're following Jesus in the first one in chapter 8 of Matthew. And they get into the boat with Him and they go. And as they go, a storm comes up out of nowhere. A wicked storm. Out of nowhere. Out of the blue. And this is a bad storm. You say, how do you know this is a bad storm, Pastor Bob? Because these were fishermen. These were people 
who made their lives on the water. They dealt with storms. I don't know if you've been around people who, who, uh, who, who boat, you know, who, who will go out into the ocean and actually go to real. I'm not talking about lake boating. I'm talking when you've got swells, six, seven, eight, and, and higher feet high swells. They don't worry about that. They know what they're doing. Me, I'd be going, <laughs> as I'm vomiting over the side of the boat. I, I've seen videos of, of, of these people in ships, in hurricanes, taking these 20 plus foot waves and, and, and going, woohoo! down and up and these people for the these guys to get scared that's a storm they knew that there was nothing they could do they knew that they were at complete mercy of the sea they knew that there was not another no matter how much they rode no matter how much they toiled with it it was over eventually it was going to take their lives and so they were afraid that's a justifiable fear isn't it I'd be scared to death. They turned to Jesus and said, what are you doing sleeping? Can't you see we're going to die? Save us. And he wakes up, and this is what he says. You have little faith. Why are you so afraid? Then he got up and rebuked the winds and the waves, and it was completely calm. The men were amazed and asked, What kind of man is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. Uh, Listen, this was something worth being afraid of in the natural. But what Jesus was conveying here is, is, Why are you so afraid? Why do you have little faith in this situation? I am in here with you. And if I said we're going over there, then we're going over there. In the natural, it's a scary situation. In the spiritual, they should absolutely be 100% confident that Jesus said, I'm going to do this, then He's going to do it. But it's, the temptation is there for all of us as believers that when we obey God with something and say, I feel like God has spoken for me to do this, then I do it. It's easy to go along. And when the storm hits, out of nowhere, you say, did I really, was I supposed to do this? But I'm going to tell you, child of God, if you look around and you see that God, I, I took this first step of faith by getting in the boat with Jesus, the worst thing you can do is question what He's told you to do. Every young person that I've ever talked with, other young ministers that I've talked with that are either making ministerial transitions or they're going into ministry that I've been able to speak into their lives, I've told them this, the most important thing you can do, and I exercise this myself, the most important thing you can do is seek God, hear God's voice, find out what He has said you are to do, and then you do that. You can't go based on paycheck. You can't go based on benefits. You can't go based on church size. You can't go based on on, on what kind of parsonage or house I'm going to have. You cannot base it on those things. You have to be in the boat with Christ because storms will come. And if you are not in the right boat, it will consume you. What's the point? The point is, if we know Christ and we know what He said for us to do, we've got to obey. And when the storms come, is it scary? Yeah. How, how many of us have had scary points in our lives obeying Jesus? I know I have. I'll put both hands and a foot up. Bless God. And those moments can be a little bit fearful, but I'm telling you, if, he's in the, if you're in the right boat, if you have gotten in, if He said, follow me here, then you follow Him there. And when the storms come, have faith. Amen? Don't let that fear of failure saying, oh great, I stepped out, now I'm going to fail. 
Don't let that happen. The other one is this, where Jesus tells them after he feeds the 5,000, he says, get in the boat and go to the other side. And they said, okay, they get out there and the storm hits and they're toiling. And what I love about this account is, is they're not afraid in the storm this time. They're just toiling. When do they get afraid? When Jesus shows up. You ever been in a situation where you think, okay, I got this thing, and then Jesus shows up and you get a little bit afraid then? Like, okay, God, what are we doing? Asking you to do things that you didn't want to do before? Hey, Peter, is that you, Lord? If that's you, have me step out of the boat in faith and come to you on the water like you're walking to me. Jesus said, come on out. And we see this in uh, chapter 14, verse 28. Lord, If it's you, Peter replied, tell me to come to you on the water. Come, he said. Then Peter got down out of the boat, walked on the water, and came toward Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid, and beginning to sink, cried out, Lord, save me. Immediately Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. You of little faith, he said, why did you doubt? And when they climbed into the boat, the wind died down. You of little faith and a fear. Fear. See how all this connects? Faith, fear, and doubt. That when your fear increases, your faith decreases and doubt increases. When your fear, when doubt is increased, your fear is going to increase. And he's saying, Peter, you were doing fine. You were walking on the water. Isn't this typical of us? To walk on water for God. To step out of the boat when he says, I want you to do something. You step out on the boat to do it. I'm guilty of this. And you get there and you get five steps in, you're doing really good. But steps six, seven, and eight. You take your eyes off the Lord and remember, hey, wait a second. I'm in the middle of a storm on water. Hey, wait a minute. I'm doing something that I'm sustained beyond my means. I'm way out of my comfort zone. I'm not a Bible scholar. I'm not, I didn't go to Bible college and get a degree. I didn't get all this stuff. Listen, I am, listen, I'm just a dumb welder. God, why would you call me to do ministry? And before long, you're sinking in your fear and your doubt. Did God really call? Did God really do this? And Jesus grabs Peter and pulls him out of the water and says, why did you doubt? so easy folks it's so easy for fear to allow to cause us to take our eyes off christ and to put our focus on everything around us and cause us to sink i've taught on this before years ago and i talked about peripheral vision versus our focus christ has got to be our focus i can still see the walls i can still see all of you but if i'm looking at christ i know you're there and you've got to be dealt with i realize that but i'm focusing on him but when the wind and the waves get worse and i turn my focus toward the wind and the waves christ now becomes peripheral and not my focus and that's when i sink too many ministers too many people who are following christ that that get they, they sink and turn away from Him because they have turned away from focusing on Christ to focusing on the problems of the church, focusing on Christians who fall short, focusing on hypocrites, focusing on everything else. And, and they lose sight of who was calling them. Our fears will do the exact same thing. We cannot allow ourselves to be consumed with fear because it will choke out our faith and it will cause us to die in the death that we didn't want to die to begin with. It'll cause us to inherit the very thing that we feared. Folks, we have got to put our faith in Christ and obey Him and follow all the way to where He's at. Secondly, the fear of insufficiency. The fear of lack and lack of provision. I don't know if I can do this. How many of you before, if the Lord has called you to do something, you step out and you think, I don't know if I can actually sustain this. That's hard. 
I don't know. Lord, it sounds really good, but uh, this, I don't see us being able to last in this for more than a month. I, I just can't sustain it. I mean, if you turn on your Bibles over to Luke chapter 5, we see this account of, the, of Jesus teaching the disciples a lesson. Beginning in verse 5, Jesus had told them they had toiled all night and hadn't caught any fish, and he told them to go out and to do it a different way. But listen to what Peter says. Verse 5, Master, we've worked hard all night and haven't caught anything, but because you say so, I will let down the nets. When they had done so, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. So they signaled to their parents, (laughs) they signaled to their parents, not parents, partners, Uh, It's funny how I said parents as soon as the the baby started to cry. (laughs) So they signaled to their partners on the other boat to come and help them. And and they came and filled both boats so full that they began to sink. When Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, Go away from me, Lord, I'm a sinful man. For he and all his companions were astonished at the catch of fish they had taken. And so were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, Simon's partners. Then Jesus said to Simon, Don't be afraid. From now on you will catch men. So they pulled their boats up on shore, left everything and followed him. Left everything and followed him. You say, what are you talking about? He says, look, don't be afraid. Now, this this statement of don't be afraid covers multiple things. The first thing it covers, and probably the most contextual thing that it covers, is the message to Peter right there who fell down and said, Lord, forgive me, I'm a sinful man. That's saying to him, I accept you. Okay, I know you're sinful. Isn't it good to know that God chose us and called us before we repented? Isn't it good to know that He loved us, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us? Isn't it good to know that? They looked at Him and said, Peter, I get it. Our repentance should be a result of our calling. Too often we put it the other way around. I'll repent and then the Lord accepts me. The reality of it is is that the Lord calls us and accepts us, and because of that we repent. That's what's happening to Peter. So he's saying, don't be afraid. I accept you. The other part of it is this. As to what he was calling them to do. Don't be afraid. From now on you will catch men. In other words, I am going to provide for you. You see this hole of fish? Peter, you can walk away from your business. Peter, who has a family. Peter, who has a mother-in-law. Peter, who has responsibilities and those he's got to take care of and that that income was important for. Peter, for, for him to be out there toiling all night and not have caught any fish, you and I don't understand. That's like working for days without a paycheck. It's a serious thing. The business owners in the room understand what I'm talking about. Working without a paycheck. It's a stressor. It's a fear. That fear of provision and making sure I have what I need. I can tell you, going from the welding field into ministry 13 years ago, it was a jump and there was a leap of faith there. There was weighing things and balancing things. And and yeah, in this way it'll be better. In this way it's going to be harder. And having to make that decision and jumping into it. But I'm telling you, The fear of sufficiency and the fear of having lack and the fear of not being able to provide for ourselves is one of those things that if we're not careful, it'll stop us from obeying God. 
If we are constantly in fear of saying that what God has called me to, He will not sustain, if God has called me to do this, He won't sustain me in it, we are no different than the children of Israel in the wilderness who said, you brought us out here to die, and now you're not going to give us water and food. We're doing it wrong. Now, let me just make a disclaimer here. You ready? There are seasons in life. And all of us go through times of having less than. Amen? 25 doctor bills come up. Tons of things break in the house. And suddenly, listen, that's a real fear and that's a real concern. Amen? But when those times come, the disciples had it. They just come out from fishing and having nothing. Outside of their skill, they had, with all of their skill, tried to do this and accomplish it, couldn't accomplish it. But with one word, and obeying the Lord, they did something different to His word and had more than enough. And Jesus was basically telling them this, it's okay. Don't be afraid. Obey me, and you'll have what you need. From now on, you're going to catch men just like you caught these fish. I am calling you to a greater harvest. And we know that Jesus spoke with the disciples and He said this in Matthew chapter 6, verses 31 through 34. So do not worry saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after these things and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first His kingdom and His righteousness and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. You know, when we're kids... We find out that we don't have the best that somebody else has and we compete and look and we say, you know, I'm just going to take this and I'm going to pack that in my bag. I had less than back then, but I learned if I work hard enough that I can do well and I can have all the really good stuff and I can make myself now to be one of the upper level people that's not going to be looked down on anymore. So we worry about such things. We work and work and work to spend it on things that are useless and fruitless. And the reality of it is is what Jesus is saying. Seek first His kingdom and everything else will be added unto you Peter figured this out in that moment Jesus said you go out you press out a little further throw the net out here and he says Lord I've done this with all my skill I know it's not right with all of my baggage with all of my learning with all of my understanding in my field I have done this and I failed miserably and Jesus said I want you to do what I say and he did it and he brings in this catch and he realizes his humanity and the greatness of God and he says don't be afraid Don't be afraid. There have been so many times in my life when I've been afraid that God's not going to allow me to finish or be able to uh, sustain me in the things He's called me to do. And fear of that has robbed my joy. Fear of God not providing for what He has spoken has robbed my joy. Now I'm not telling you to throw off irresponsibility, you know, become irresponsible and not do what you're supposed to do. The disciples did what they were supposed to do. It was an awesome uh, co- cooperation between what God said and what He told them to do. It's very important for us to not throw that off and say, I'm going to sit around and just wait for God to provide. The reality of it is, is that He will provide as we obey Him and put the kingdom first. 
Matthew 10 says this in verses 7 through 10. As you go preach this message, the kingdom of heaven is near. Heal the the sick, raise the dead, cleanse those who have leprosy, drive out demons. Freely you have received, freely give. Do not take along any gold or silver or copper in your belts. Take no bag for the journey or extra tunic or sandals or staff for the worker is worth his keep. The worker is worth his keep. The worker in other versions is worth his wages. What are the wages that we're receiving? The, the, The wages we're receiving from God as we put his kingdom first is sustainment, is provision, and all the stuff that's going to be taken care of that we don't have to fear. This is a tough one. This is a tough one. This one's hard when there's cutbacks at work. This one's hard when there's layoffs. This one's hard when, when incomes shift and change. This one's hard, hard when there's physical sickness and, and health problems and you can't work. This is hard. But child of God, if you will put His kingdom first, if you will be mindful of His plan and His will, He's going to add unto you things that you need. Just shake your heads yes. You don't have to worry about all of it. He's going to provide. It may not be make you the most wealthy person in Covington, but you're going to have what you need. Amen? All right. Well, we might get it one of these days. So, Thirdly and lastly, the fear of man. I'm not going to spend a whole lot of time on this one because in, in a few weeks we're going to talk some more about some things this is going to tether together with. But in Matthew 10, we see where Jesus tells the disciples this, A student is not above his teacher nor a servant above his master. It is enough for the student to be like his teacher and the servant like his master. If the head of the house is called Beelzebub, how much more the members of his household? So do not be afraid of them. There is nothing concealed that will not be disclosed or hidden that will not be made known. What I tell you in the dark, speak in the daylight. What is whispered in your ear, proclaim from the roofs. Do not be afraid of those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather be afraid of the one who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Hmm. I'm just going to stop there for time's sake. Do not be afraid. Let me ask you, have you ever been afraid of people before? And it's caused you not to obey God in something that He's told you to say or do? If we're living that way on a regular basis, folks, we're doing it wrong. Jesus was not a respecter of persons. He was not afraid of people. He was not afraid to speak the truth in love, and He knew what it was going to bring into his life. Here's the cool thing. At times when he spoke the truth in love and people hated him for it and wanted to take him and kill him right then, God protected him from it. He walked through a crowd, an angry mob looking for him. He walked through them. We don't have to be afraid of people. We don't have to be afraid about our reputation and what people are going to say about us and what people are going to do. Listen, fear is being pumped into this culture at unbelievable amounts daily. Every time you turn on the news, they're pumping fear into your world. Fear of the government, fear of the president, fear of of parties, fear of economics, fear of health care, fear of everything. Everything is fearful. You turn on social media, dear Lord, everybody's afraid. We can't say anything without offending somebody, so we don't want to say anything, all this stuff. I'm not going to go deep into the persecution side of this because we'll talk about it later. But the side of stopping ourselves out of the fear of man and what man thinks and what man might say and how man might react is totally opposite of the gospel. Jesus said, don't be afraid of man. Don't be afraid. 
And yet we find ourselves with past experiences where I've said something and I tick somebody off. I put that in my suitcase and I drag it with me because I know and I'm going to remember that. So I don't make people, oh, I've tried it before. I'm just going to keep my mouth shut because nobody listens. Everybody just gets mad. And then before you know it, I'm in a whole mess. And I always come out the bad guy no matter what because everybody takes his side or her side. So I'm just going to continue on through my life. Thank you, Jesus, for saving me. But, but boy, I just can't handle you know somebody having a negative thought about me or calling me names or saying things about me so I'm just going to keep my mouth shut I don't see that in the scripture anywhere do you if we're living that way we're we're doing it wrong now I'm not telling you to go out and be harsh and rude and angry and and treat people like they're stupid folks that's doing it wrong too amen but speaking the truth in love and not being afraid not packing away our past experiences and past times that we've been hurt and allowing that hurt to drive our fears and cause us never to do the right thing folks that is is not Christ, it is anti-Christ. That is completely opposite of anything that Christ ever was or the disciples ever were. And he's telling them, don't be afraid of people. Even if they kill your body, even if it gets bad enough where they can take your life, which they were, their lives were taken. Even if it's that bad, they can't kill you. Fear God. Revere God. Who can cast both your soul and body in hell. Amen? It is more important for us to obey God in these things and that matter. So in closing this morning, in closing, uh, we've got to learn to trust God. In 2 Corinthians 12, uh, on the screen here, it says, uh, but he said to me, Paul, who, who cried out to God for this thorn in his flesh and his own struggle and battle, he says, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in my weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. When we consider this passage of Scripture, when we look at it, we know that the disciples in their moment of fear were at a weak place. There was nothing else they could do, and it was at that moment that Christ stepped up and calmed the storms. It was at that moment that He showed up. Folks, when we're at our weakest point, it's not the time to become faithless and hopeless. It's our time to begin to look for Christ. It's our time to begin to look for where He's at and what He's doing. I just got back from vacation and usually when I'm going on vacation, the Lord gives me a, a really clear word or two. And uh, all week, He's spoken to me a little bit, and there were some really good things I got from Him, but, but it wasn't until the last day He spoke two really cool things to me. One of them was flying into Bloomington, Illinois. Why the Lord would speak to anybody in Illinois, I have no idea. I was above it, I guess, I don't know. Sorry to all my Illinois folks, just making a jab. But anyway, just reaffirm my call here. Oh, just so precious. I won't bore you with that one. But April and I were at the airport the other day getting ready to leave from St. Pete. Anybody ever been to the St. Pete airport and tried to fly out of there? It's not a big place, little place. We come from the rental car area, so we're, we, we got our stuff. We're dragging our stuff. You know, we're going, we're going to check our bag and... and uh, this, this uh, airline, you can do your tickets on your phone now. And so we'd already had that already, but we still had to check our bag. And we walk in, and there's the counter. And, and as soon as we come in the door, there's this lady saying, Into the line this way. 
into the line this way. And I'm thinking, wow, the building kind of curves and I couldn't see the end of the line. So we're walking. We're walking, kind of looking for the end of the line. And I look at April and I'm like, wow, it's been glad we got here two hours early. Still can't see the end of the line. Folks, I'm not kidding you. It seemed like this line stretched for a quarter mile. It went halfway through this airport. And I'm like, dear God. And there was a line of people in front of me that was all going to the end of the line. And they all turned and the line just kept getting longer. The further I walked, I'm like, I'm never going to get to the end of the line. And we get there and I look at her and I said, baby, we're not going to make it out. This, these people are slow enough the way it is. And so I'm standing there and I'm standing there and this young couple's behind us and this, this young guy starts getting frustrated. He goes, I'm never flying this airline ever again. And I'm thinking, I'm never flying this airline ever again either. <laughs> and so he's standing there. He said, this can't be right. He said, we've got our tickets on our phone. We shouldn't have to wait in this line. And she said, yeah, but we need to, we need to check our bag. He goes, I know, but there's got to be a better way. There's got to be another way. And he walks up front. He said, I, I'm, I think there is. I'll, I'll, I'll go check and I'll stay here. I'm going to go check. So I'm thinking, I'm with this guy. I'm going to listen. Pretty soon her phone rings. And he says, I hear her saying, really? Are you sure we're not cutting? Are you sure? Really? Huh. Okay. And I said, is there another way? And she said, she said, he says there is, that he's doing it now, but I'm staying here because I don't want to lose our spot if Casey's wrong. I said, I said man, are, are you sure? Because I don't want to go up there and, and lose our spot. She said, well, hold on, let me check. Are you sure? <laughs> You're sure? You're in, it's, it works. Okay, all right. He said, yeah, he said the kiosks are open. I said, baby, I looked at April and I said, baby, stay right there. If this is real, I'll let you know. This sounds too good to be true. I can pass this whole line up, but I'm going. So I had to fight through the crowd, and there were people coming this way, and I'm getting closer to that line, and all the time this lady from this airline is saying, into the line that way, into the line that way. And all these people just kept coming, and everybody that I walked past had this look on their face. Looking around, checking watches, checking their phones, checking their flights. One person come up, I heard him saying, ah, our flight leaves in an hour. Our flight, there's no way we're going to make it. And the lady just kept saying, the end of the line. Well, I passed that lady. I get up by what I call the cattle stocks, you know, where they got them all winding in and out. And I'm up there and I look and there's 12 kiosks. Wide open. Nobody's going to them because the lady's standing there saying, end of the line. Into the line. And here's this whole line of people conformed like this. And I went over to the kiosk and I thought, this can't be that easy. But I looked and there's my buddy from the line behind me. And I went, he goes, I punched it in. It said, your, your uh, ticket for your checked bags printing out right now at the counter. I looked over, I stepped into a little short line that was interwoven with the cattle stocks of angry people. And I just kind of stood in the line and I, I called April and I said, it's real. Come forth. She's like, are you serious? I was like, I'm serious. Come here. You got to see this. This is real. And I, I heard my name. 
And this little Asian lady, Robert Fairshaw? She couldn't even say my name. I didn't even care. I just took my bag up and she wrapped it and took it and waited and she said, you're all set, sir. And I went. And I looked at the cattle stocks of people still angry and I still heard the lady yelling, into the line, that way. And I got away from it. I'm telling, April's like, are you serious? I'm like, we're done. And as I walked past that line of people, I just kind of looked over at them as they stood there with their baggage with the angriest, most frustrated looks on their face. Fear. I'm not going to get my flight. I'm not going to make it. Fearful and afraid. And this one lady who'd conformed everybody to a line and never pointed out the other way. And I stood, as I walked down this line, I looked at all these people, and something inside of me began to stir. And I just wanted to scream over that lady's voice, There's another way! If you've got tickets, you just go up there to the kiosk. It's easy. I'll help you. You just punch in the numbers and they'll print it out the desk as a short line. You don't have to do this anymore. I wanted to do that. And I just was walking. I had a hold of my wife's hand and just looking at everything. And we actually cut through the line to go to our gate. And I never said a word. You want to know why? I was afraid to. I was afraid. I went in through the gate, went through security, went in and got myself uh, an egg and sausage uh, biscuit and only ate the egg and sausage and cheese out of it, for those of you who are curious. But I I ate that with my wife, and as I was eating it, the Lord said, and you didn't say a word to those people because you were afraid. He said, you know you're preaching on that tomorrow, right? I said, Lord, if you let me take my suitcase to church, I'll talk about it. You know, so oftentimes we know there's another way. And we see people conforming to a line that our culture tells them they have to conform to. And we see our culture lining itself up in frustration and fear. And we have religion that tells people you have to do it this way. And this is the only way to do it when God is saying, I want to free you from all that nonsense. I want to take your bag out of your hands. I want to remove the fears. I want to remove the doubts. I want to remove the the, the regrets. I want you to take every little thing that you were ever offended at and you packed in your little bag and took with you across the wilderness. And I want you to throw it away and I want you to walk across the river in confidence knowing that I am with you and I'm going to give to you your wages. So often fear stops us, doesn't it? There was a point, probably about a month or two back, where I dealt with my own fears on a certain issue, and I've dealt with a lot of other folks, a lot of other people who I love dearly that are holding themselves back because they're afraid uh, of all these things. Is God good enough to help me with this? Is God really going to provide? Is God really going to honor me in this? Is God really going to sustain this? Am I obeying Him? Is this going to work, Pastor? We're just afraid. We're just afraid. Listen, folks, there's a lot of fear in this room. There's a lot of fear throughout our church and, and throughout our culture. It's our culture. But listen, God wants, to, wants you to know there's another way. And you don't have to be afraid. And you don't have to let fear silence you. And you don't have to let fear cripple you. And you don't have to stop yourself because you're afraid. 
He is with you. He is in the boat with you. He is on the water with you. He is providing for you. And even if they harm us, He's by your side. He wants to deliver you of fear today. Would you bow your head with me? Father, I love these folks. I've spoken what you told me to say. Lord, I pray for deliverance for those that are struggling with bouts of fear and faithlessness. We want to be bold. We want to be people full of your spirit. It's just like you told Timothy through Paul. For this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God did not give us a spirit of timidity or fear, but a a spirit of power, of love, and of self-discipline. Lord, I pray, I pray this over these folks today. If that's you, you say, Pastor, I'm really allowing fear to cripple me in some ways. And today I want to check my baggage and I want to get it off me. And I want to move forward in obedience to Christ without fear. If that's you, would just simply with an uplifted hand, I want to pray over you. I see those hands oh, going up all over the place. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. <laughs> Look at me, all of you. Those of you who just raised your hands, you ready? You ready? Look me in the eye. Put your hands up in the air right now. Those of you, raise your hands. Don't be afraid. We're killing fear right now. You are delivered in Jesus' name. You are delivered. Put them up. Everybody, put them up again. You are delivered. I'm making eye contact with all of you. You are delivered in Jesus' name. His Spirit is inside of you. His power is inside of you. You don't have to be second place anymore. You are set free. Yes, Abby, you are set free. You don't have to be afraid. Your father loves you. He loves you. Janice, you don't have to be afraid of provision. He filled up nets for the people he loved. You don't have to be afraid. You guys don't have to be afraid. He loves you. He loves you, Philip. You already know. He's speaking it to your heart. You don't have to be afraid. Past shortcomings, past failures, gone. In Jesus' name, gone. You checked your baggage, Doug. It's gone. You don't have to be afraid anymore. You're a child of the King. You're a child of the King, Rodney. The Lord smiles every time you play that bass on that stage. He, he, he rejoices over you. Set free. Set free. Set free. Hallelujah. That's not how we did it in the first service. I don't know why he said do it this way this time. I'm telling you, as a child of God, he chose you in your filth first. Then you repented. And everything in your life has got to overflow from the reality of who He is in your life. Do not let fear rob you of that. Today, from this day forward, we've checked our baggage. 
And when the enemy comes in like a flood, you raise up a standard against it. And what is that standard? The standard is Jesus Christ, the symbol of Christ. And say, I'm going to put the cross between you and me and remind you, Satan, where my source and my strength and my power comes from. And in this moment of weakness, when I am afraid, I'm not going to let it control me because it's then that I'm, I'm strong in Him. He's not here to destroy you, child of God. He's here to sustain you. Amen? How many of you received that today? Hallelujah. Give Him a hand clap of praise. Give Him a hand clap of praise. No longer is my worship going to be directed by my fear of what everybody else thinks around me. No longer is my life and my words and my actions going to be directed by what everybody else around me thinks. Am I going to speak with respect and love and mercy and grace? Of course. But I can't, I can't worry about the reaction of people. Got to be honest. Got to be true. Got to be biblical how I approach things. Mm. Life-changing word today. Amen? For me too. Father, we just received that word today to know we're set free from that fear and that worry. You have always provided and you always will. And bless God, we receive all that you have for us today as we seek your kingdom first. God, that's the key to seek your kingdom and your righteousness and everything else will be added to us. Bless these folks. Encourage them, God. There's many gone on vacation. Uh, Bless them, Father. Protect them. Bring them back safely. Grow them in their time of rest. Grow them in you. Allow them to connect with you and to hear from you, God. And pray, Father, I pray that you would bless them and pour your spirit out upon, upon all of us, God. Bring us back again, ready to receive from you. We praise you and thank you in Jesus' name. Everybody said, amen. God bless you. You are dismissed.